my assignment, my job, my task for today is to remind you, to try to convince some of you and certainly remind others that you are not here by accident. You are here. You were created specifically, thoughtfully by God. You are not a coincidence. Your life is not a coincidence. Your conception was not a coincidence. Your parents participated, but it wasn't even their plan. I don't care if they planned you. It wasn't their plan. Amen? Amen. God created you skillfully, and he designed you specifically as you are, on purpose and for a purpose. That's what I'm trying to convince you this morning. Amen? Amen? You have been prepared through all of your life, and you have been preserved for this very moment. I need you to believe that. Your life experiences have helped to shape you. But even the painful life experiences, and I know you have some of those, were not supposed to keep you down. Oh, I know they may knock you down, but they're not supposed to keep you down. So if you're still laying on the mat, you need to get up right now. They were not meant to bottle you up and hold all of your best gifts on the inside of you so that they can't do what God wills for them to do. They were not meant to limit your potential and put ceilings in your mind and on your life. They were meant to bless God, to glorify God, and to make this world a better place. Amen? Amen. Your experiences that you've had that God has allowed you to have were intended not to beat you down, not to take you out. Your experiences were meant to make you indestructible and an unstoppable force. That's what those experiences were meant to do when it comes to the perspective of purpose and impact. I want you to look at your life differently after today. Amen? Amen. I want you to tell three or four people. I want you to look them in the eye. And I want you to tell them and mean it. You were created on purpose for a purpose. You are indestructible. You were created on purpose for a purpose. You are indestructible. I want you to get up off your feet. Get up out of your chair. I want you to tell four people personally. Yes, Lord God. Hallelujah. 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 After all that, somebody should believe it. Somebody should believe it. Hallelujah. You were created deliberately, intentionally, exactly who you are. Don't you ever curse who God made you to be. Hallelujah. You are special, not in spite of, but because of the way God made you. Not in spite of. Don't you ever put yourself down like that. Because of how he made you intentionally, that's what makes you special. Amen? Amen. The events of your life that have come to shape you have put you in a unique position and have gotten you to a unique place where you can be prepared to do what God brought you into this world, amen, to do. From a purpose standpoint, you are undeniable. You are indestructible. 
you are unstoppable with Christ. Amen? Amen. You are God's secret weapon in the warfare against the enemy. You are his secret weapon, but the secret is going to be out after today. Satan, from the very beginning, he believed and he still believes that he can influence you and manipulate you mentally and emotionally in particular. He believes that he can do that. And in some cases, he almost wins, but we're not going to let him win. Amen? Amen? He believes that the guilt and the shame from the wrongs you've done. He believes that the pain and the heartache from wrongs done to you. He believes that the disappointments that you've experienced in your life. He believes that the mistakes that you've undoubtedly made, he believes that these things can defeat us. He believes that these things can destroy our dreams and our hope and our purpose. This is what he believes. But he's wrong. Amen? The truth is we are undefeated. We are indestructible. We are unstoppable with Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Unstoppable. Indestructible. You were created the way you are because he had something he wanted to do through you, not your next door neighbor. You. You. The only way you can be stopped is if you stop yourself. Let's go to a biblical example to try to drive this point home. We're going to go to the book of Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Where Stephen, the amazing deacon, has given his amazing sermon. And the Jewish leaders were not pricked in the heart like the folks on the day of Pentecost were, but they were cut to the heart because they didn't like his words. When you tell the truth, many times people will not like your words, but you got to tell the truth anyhow. We're going to be looking at verses 57 through 60, where we're going to be introduced to Saul. I know you know a lot about Paul, but you need to know about Saul. Stephen has said all that he was created to say. He has risen to the occasion and the moment of his calling and his purpose. Yes, he made sure that the widows were fed, but he was created ultimately for this moment. And the Bible reads, starting at verse 57, Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord, all of them. And cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, meaning they threw stones at him until he was dead. While Stephen was calling upon the Lord and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Saul clearly was present at Stephen's murder 
He was a witness to it for sure. But as we continue reading and we get to chapter 8 and we'll look in particular at verses 1 through 4, we see that Saul was more than just a witness to Stephen's murder. Starting at verse 1, and Saul was what? Unto his death. So he wasn't just a witness. He was part of the crew that made sure that it happened. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, this is some serious persecution. Only the apostles were left. Everybody else was scattered. Verse 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Verse 3, As for Saul, He made havoc of the church, entering into what? Every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. He made havoc of the church. How many houses did he enter? Every house. This hailing, this means dragging, dragging forcibly. He dragged them out, committing them to prison. Verse 4, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. It looks like he was winning, but was he winning? No, he was losing. He was actually causing the gospel to be spread more than it otherwise would have. He didn't let it just be a Jerusalem thing. It ended up being a worldwide thing. Amen? At least as far as at this point as the Jews were concerned. I want to point out, I want to emphasize the fact that you're getting to know the character and the commitment of this man, Saul. Now, he's doing bad things to the church, but I want you to notice and I want you to pay attention to his character and commitment. He is going from house to house, leaving no stone unturned. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of detailed commitment? He is dragging people out forcibly so that they can be committed to prison. And to let you know how serious he was, they usually left women out of this kind of stuff. But he said, even the women. And he's dragging these people out and he's going from house to house, leaving no stone unturned. We're talking about a man who's committed to his cause, even though we know that he's wrong. Amen. Now, he's cleared out Jerusalem. You would think that'd be all right. You'd think that'd be enough. He's gotten all of these people of the way, these what we now call Christians, out of the main territory. But it wasn't enough. Let's go to chapter 9. We're going to see what happened with this guy for whom getting all of the people of the way, again, what we now call Christians, out of Jerusalem because he felt like they were heretics. This great Pharisee that was named Saul that we now know as Paul that wrote most of the more books than anybody else of the New Testament. We're looking at chapter 9 and we're first going to look at verses 1 and 2, this same Saul. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues. Now, um, at this time, they didn't have cars. 
But if you had a car, it would take you two hours to get to Damascus. So imagine with their type of roads and their type of travel, modes of travel, this was a serious trek. And yet Saul thought nothing of it while he's breathing out his threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. He got authorization to go to Damascus and make sure no more Jews convert to this way, this wayward way in his mind. And so he goes to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, leaving no stone unturned, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. He was not satisfied, and neither should you be. He was not satisfied. This is just like President Bush looking for Saddam Hussein or President Obama looking for Osama bin Laden. He was not satisfied. He was intense. He was focused. He was mission-driven. Looking at verses 3 through 6, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art, who art thou, Lord? He didn't know it was the Lord yet. Lord was just a title. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. It is hard for an animal to kick against the goad, the sharp goad that's goading them along. It's hard. The harder they push, the more they get hurt. And Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what with wilt thou have me to do? This is true metanoia. This is a man persecuting the church, and now that he's realized who he's really persecuting, now that he realized he's wrong, and so should we, he says, Lord, what would you have me to do? I'll do whatever you want me to do. And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Sometime it's good to be arrested. If you're doing wrong, you should want to be arrested. The Bible says in terms of prayer, it says, nevertheless, thy will be done. It says, lead us not into temptation, but drag me if you have to from the evil that I would do. It's good to be arrested when you're on the wrong road and you get picked up and taken into the pokey to get your head right so you can get back on the right road. Amen. Amen. This man was truly repentant. And that's a necessary ingredient for you to really fulfill your purpose and mission in life. Now, after this, and you probably know the story, Jesus told a disciple named Ananias to go to Saul and to lay hands on him so that he might receive his sight because his sight was taken away during this incident. And we go to verse 13 to see his reaction. That's chapter 9, verse 13. And it reads, I'm just going to read 13 and 14 to see his reaction. Then Ananias answered to the Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. Now, 
How in the world do you expect me to go and lay hands on this man? How do you expect me to be even in his presence when he has the right and he has he is driven to actually take me and put me into prison and have me maybe beaten and tortured and even maybe killed? Is it not unreasonable for someone to think that way? It's quite reasonable. Verses 15 and 16, we see Jesus's response. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. The key thing, and this is, these are the key two verses that I just want to impress upon you, is the fact that this man was chosen by Jesus. He's a chosen vessel just like you and just like me. And because he was chosen by Jesus, it doesn't matter what people think. Because you were chosen by Jesus, it doesn't matter what people think. Because you were chosen by Jesus, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. Because you were chosen specifically by Jesus, it doesn't matter what your former reputation was. Because you were chosen, because it was a conscious decision, because he counted up all the things and decided, yes, it's you I want. Yes, it's you I want to conceive through your parents. Yes, it's you I want to be born. Yes, it's you I want to give this purpose. Yes, it's you I want to make this difference through. Yes, it's you, not somebody else. You and you and you. Jesus chose you. How dare we unchoose ourselves? And he was chosen to do some hard things. You think our job is hard. He was chosen to bear Jesus' name to the Gentiles. Why is this hard for this man? He was committed to the Jewish cause and the cause of the Jewish God, Jehovah. His heart was with his people, and yet his calling was to the Gentile, the heathen. This was hard for him. This was hard because now he's got to go to a polytheistic people, these Gentiles, who believed in multiple gods and made gods out of men and convinced them to worship one singular God that they've never known up to this point. And then to allow that God's son to be their savior. He had a really hard job. We think our jobs are hard. He had a really, really, really hard job. He had to stand in front of kings and represent God while he was under arrest. So he didn't get to do it all free and, and easily. He had to be under, the, uh, under arrest and under suspicion while he presented the case to these kings. And the same thing he had to do when he came back to Jerusalem to give them the gift from the Macedonians he had to present himself in chains. This is a hard thing to do. We get to present ourselves in a country that allows us to worship. We ought to do the hard things, amen? amen. Anybody interested in Paul's job? I don't think so. And we're not even including the fact that he was beaten. We're not including the fact that he was bitten by a poisonous snake and had to deal with that. He was lied on and his whole apostleship was challenged at every turn. How about having a job that hard? 
And how about having folks lie on you? And how about having folks question whether you're really an apostle or not? Now, Jesus chose him. But everybody else judged him because he wasn't one of the 12. How about being lonely like that? Oh, he had Silas. Oh, he had Timothy. Oh, he had some helpers. But he lived a very lonely existence. It's hard doing hard things when you don't have a whole lot of people to help. But remember, he was chosen to do these hard things. No matter how hard it is that you think the job that he's given you to do, no matter how hard it goes against your grain, no matter how hard it goes against what you'd prefer to do, just remember you were chosen. And who are you to unchoose yourself? Now, he was chosen to do these hard things, that is, Saul, later to be Paul, not in spite of his character. I want you to understand this. He wasn't chosen in spite of his character and the things that he'd done. He'd done some terrible things. He wasn't chosen in spite of who he was. He wasn't chosen in spite of the things that he had done. I know it seems contradictory, but he was chosen because of his character and because of the things that he had done with such stick to It is because of the combination of Saul's sincere and earnest desire to complete his task. It's because of the fact that he was so intense he wouldn't even allow the women to go. It's because of the fact that he was so committed that he went from every single house. Combined with the fact that he is now enlightened, he now realizes who he should really be rolling with, and he is truly, truly sorry. Without true repentance, you cannot really make a difference. And because of his character, because of his intensity, because of his commitment, and now his metanoia repentance, he now felt, and God knew he would, he felt he owed God a debt. Do you feel like you owe God anything? This man knew he had been wrong, and now he realizes just how wrong he was. What's his response? Did he recoil? Did he go into a cave somewhere? Did he give up? Did he give in? No, he said, Lord, I owe you, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life paying you back. Not purchasing my salvation. No, 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 no. You can't work your way to that. But I realize, God, I've done damage to you unknowingly. I'm going to prove to you I didn't realize it, and I'm sorry by giving myself away for the rest of my life. I will present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is my reasonable service. If Paul were here, he would indeed beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you give your life away for a God that deserves more than you could ever give. A God that chose you. That knew that in your life there was going to be an arrest on a road somewhere. And that you were going to have a change of heart, a change of mind, and that you were going to be given an assignment and that hopefully you would be ready to follow it word for word. He didn't give him some great thing to do. He said, what should I do? Go to this man's house and wait there. How about being given that kind of assignment? After all of that pomp and circumstance, you think he'd get some grand assignment. No, no, no. Go over here 
and wait and pray. Amen? Amen. The combination of his commitment, the combination of his sincerity, the combination of his intensity. This is how Paul was made. Not everybody's made like that. But it's the combination of that and his true repentance, his true enlightenment. You put those two things together and he was perfectly designed. The fact that he was going to feel like he owed God. So he was going to go through things that we don't want to go through. He was going to persevere when places we would fall down and give up. He was going to stick it out. He was going to see it through because of the way he was made. Now you get him feeling like he owes you. You can't lose. You can't lose. You take somebody with a desire and an opportunity and an intense interest. Great things happen. You don't see any half stepping. This is what it looks like. When God prepares you and you say yes. Amen. 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 Now, it's not always going to be fun. But if you realize that God created you, he chose you, he actually created you very particularly to be the way that you are. And he, through your life experiences, has been preparing you and preserving you. There's a reason why you're still here. There's a reason why you're still standing. There's a reason why you have this power and this testimony. It's not to do dilly-dally around. It's to actually do what you were literally created on the wheel to do. If you tend toward attention to detail, you're that way for a reason. If your heart bleeds for people, even when you don't want it to bleed, you're that way for a reason. If you're a, a good speaker and you're willing to give it to God, you're that way for a reason. And yet, if you don't think you're a good speaker, if God tells you to speak, there's something he wants to say through you that no one can say the way you can say it. However you're made, I want you to think about this because we beat ourselves up because we don't look like somebody else. We beat ourselves up because we don't have what somebody else has. We beat ourselves up and we go into a corner somewhere because of the things that have been allowed to happen to us in our lives. And we curse it because somebody else has it easier. Because nobody did anything about it and nobody seems to care. We beat ourselves up because there's mistakes that we've made. We beat ourselves up because things haven't gone the way we thought they were going to go. And yet, if you look at those experiences and you look back, you now know how you got over. More importantly, you should know why you got over. God chose you. Jesus chose you. How dare we unchoose ourselves? It's because of the combination of who you are and what you've been through that you can make the difference that you're supposed to make. Amen? Amen. Now, Saul was perfectly designed for what he had to do. And he committed his life to doing so. And he saw it all the way through to the finish line. Oh, he wrote, I press toward the mark, not that I've apprehended but he presses toward the mark of the high calling of God. He can never give God enough, but he's going to give him his all. Will you give God your all? Will you say yes? This still standing, having a testimony and power does nothing, means nothing. It comes to naught if you don't say yes. So the same thing is true for you. You were created on purpose, for a purpose. You have been prepared by your experiences. Don't curse them. 
you've been prepared, you've been molded, you've been shaped, and you've been preserved for this very moment. And it's that combination of exactly how you were designed, the way you look, the tone of your voice. I need you to understand the detail. I need you to understand just like someone with clay on a wheel. I want you to understand like any craftsman, craftsman with wood. I want you to understand like any metal worker. I want you to be clear. I want you to go away without any doubt in your mind that God made you thoughtfully, intentionally. We come into this world and we let the world and society and its norms at the moment, at the time, its preferences for height and shape, who's in power, that's the color that dominates, that's the color you should go for, whatever the hair looks like. You allow society to tell you what God was supposed to mean when he created you. You can't allow that to be. Anytime you do that, you fall beneath your privilege. You were a masterpiece. I don't care what flaws you think you have. God had a thought, an intentional thought. He says, I'm going to make you. Oh, you make some mistakes. Oh, you have some things happen to you that knock you off your game a little bit. Oh, there's no question you've done some stuff that might still be chasing you, might still be burdening you, might still be making you think you're not worthy. But that shouldn't stop you from giving your all. Is there anybody less worthy than Saul? Is there anybody that did anything worse while you're living on this earth than Saul? Have you done anything anywhere near like what he did to the people that he did it to? God intentionally chose him. He was a man that was ready to do hard stuff. He was a man that was ready to do stuff that he wouldn't prefer to do. But he was a man that was created and gifted for the very thing that God called and chose him to do. But the same is true for you. Saul is just a man that happened to live at a certain time when they were writing some stuff down about it. But he's not different from you. He lived a life and he wrote about it. We preserved his writings and his letters and, and, and Dr. Luke wrote down and chronicled what happened in the early church, including Saul and later Paul in the book of Acts. But your life is also a book. And it's not finished yet. The question is, are you presenting your body as a living sacrifice so you can live out the rest of this book? It's not finished yet. Satan tries to tell you that it's finished. Satan tries to tell you that the, the, because of the things you've done, you're not worthy. Because of the things you've done, you've got to clean yourself up. You've got to get all perfect. And it's just not true. It's the combination of who you are, specifically, intentionally, deliberately, wonderfully, magnificently, who you are. My daughter, when she talks, she explains every detail. Every detail. Every detail. So I'm thinking, oh, get to, I used to say it, get to the. I hardly ever say that anymore. I appreciate she was made that way for a reason. <laughs>
you were made the way you are for a reason. Little Riley and her confidence. She's made that way for a reason. She's precocious. She's beyond her years, it appears. She's made that way for a reason. Her mother was made the way she is for a reason. She's gone through the experiences she's gone through for a reason. She has the things that have occurred that have affected the way she thinks and some of the ways she feels combined with the gifts that God has put deep down inside of her. And then those things run into one day opportunity yeah. and purpose kicks in. Yeah. This is what we're trying to talk about today. Yeah. Trying to explain to you that you, specifically you, were created for a reason and a purpose. Young Jason left California, a boy, went to Las Vegas, had some ins and outs, some ups and downs, and had some experiences and came back a man. <laughs> Doing stuff he never planned to do. And yet, he found himself squarely facing destiny, facing purpose. And he now has a clear idea where his life is headed. He couldn't have known that two years ago. He had some stuff he had to go through. He had some things he had to learn. He had some situations that he had to face where he didn't know which way to go and he needed to figure out how to go there and who to talk to and whether to listen to them or not. Who he is, a young man from difficult circumstances, from not the greatest of neighborhoods, with difficult family situations, went far away and found himself. And so now he can come back and be the man that God called him to be, that big-hearted person. Sometimes he gives when you might say he shouldn't give. Sometimes he helps more than he should help. Any strength can be overdone and become a weakness, but God made him that way for a reason. Amen. Don't you ever dare try to take his big-heartedness away. Don't you ever dare try to take his desire to help and make a difference away. God made you the way that you are for a reason. He gave Deacon Melvin Glover a heart for the homeless for a reason. It's not because he came from those tough situations. It's not because he didn't have family and support. He had all of that, but he put that desire into his heart for a reason. You are made the way you are for a reason. You've had the situation and circumstances you've had for a reason. It's not a mistake. It's not a coincidence. It is designed to make you who you're supposed to be for the moment when your purpose and destiny is squarely in front of you. You should think of today as that day. Amen. It's that combination that makes you indestructible. It's that combination that will keep you undefeated in the game of life. You're not going to give up. You're not going to give in. Doesn't matter what they say. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter what reputation you had. It doesn't matter how you used to think of yourself. Starting today, you know you were chosen and created specifically the way you were supposed to be. Now, you might misuse it. You might make some mistakes. You might say no when you should say yes. But it's no mistake. 
God didn't mean somebody else. He meant you. And he doesn't want you to be somebody else. And he doesn't want you to dare unchoose yourself. You are indestructible. As it pertains to purpose, if you link up with God and accept who you really are and understand you're like that for a reason, and that your experiences were not meant to beat you down and shut you down and shut you up and wall you off, they were not meant for that. When you figure that out, Satan can't use them against you. He can't get you to beat yourself. The Golden State Warriors speed up the game and the other team pretty much beats themselves. Of course, they can shoot real good, too. That helps. But I, I'm, I'm here to try my job, my task, my goal. My purpose today is to get you to walk out of here understanding, regardless of age, regardless of income, regardless of educational level, regardless of color, regardless of height, regardless of background, regardless of marital status, regardless of family structure, regardless of anything you were intentionally created. Intentionally. And your experiences have shaped you. Oh, there's some scars. But they've shaped you. They've given you power and a testimony. But Satan doesn't want you to wake up and see it that way. He's trembling in his boots, just like he did on the day Jesus was on that cross. He thought he was winning, and when he realized he had actually lost, the only thing he could do now is to convince you not to be all that you can be, to convince you not to stand up and be counted, to convince you not to give your body as a living sacrifice, to convince you you're not good enough, to convince you somebody else is better, to convince you I can't do it, to convince you not to fulfill the purpose that he made you on that wheel intentionally perfectly to convince you not to suit up and boot up to convince you not to show up and show out to convince you not to be on posted on point to convince you not to be counted because if we're all counted we don't need that many to do what God wants us to do you are God's secret weapon but as of this moment it's not so much a secret anymore let's thank God that we're still here Let's thank God that we're still standing, and let's thank God that he chose us.